0: Okay, this is my Bible. This is my Bible. I, believe I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it is all I need. All right, all right. Now, last week, we just want to kind of follow this ministry of Jesus, and and he was on his third day, and and this whole changing water to wine. I hope and pray you never look at that story the same again. I hope that you will look at it not as just a miracle that Jesus took, plain water and turned it into wine. I hope you see it as this is the beginning of his ministry and what did he come to do? What did Jesus come to do? Change you and me. To take what we were a sinful a sinful being that had no hope into someone who is now taken on the likeness of his son and he is changing us. So that whole water changing into wine, it all refers to the blood and the work of Jesus. And he is starting his ministry. We saw how Mary, even with Mary, his mother, he had her have a good look at herself. And when he called her woman, it made her kind of... Ooh, that's right. I did give birth to the Son of God, and you know, for thirty years he's just been her Jesus, you know, and so now he is now stepping out to be her Savior as well. And and the very fact when when uh, Jesus said, "Well, what do you want me to do about it?" you know, and and she didn't even, you know, she didn't they didn't discuss it anymore. She just looked at those servants and said, "What." Ever he tells you to do you do it and to me that statement meant that she knew who he was and I think we all of that second chapter he always is checking do you know who I am are you does your life show that you do know who I am and, and remember John <clears throat> John's chapter remember he said in number one he said I I am going to show you and prove to you who Jesus is. I want you to see who he is. Not all what he said, not all what he did, but I want you to know who he is because that is what changes your life. When you know who he is and you know who you are and how desperately you need him. So then we saw in the second part of the chapter how Um, The first part is about our conversion, but the second part is about that we need to be cleansed. Our house needs to continuously be cleansed. Jesus, um, he lives within us. We are now the temple of God's spirit, which is, you know, God's spirit is Jesus. I mean, he lives within us. And every once in a while, he needs to clean our house. And we can be grateful. He loves us enough to do that. And then, and then we saw that part where it said many were believing. Many were believing. And, and it sounded marvelous. But then it said, but he didn't entrust himself to them. And I thought, oh, that is something we cannot forget, that he sees our heart and he knows, he knows whether we are real, whether we are playing a religious game, and he does not entrust himself to those who might be so exterior only. We were talking, asking Cheryl about the the, um, the big tree that fell in her yard last week, and uh, And she was telling me, she said, I thought it would be a maple, but it was a big oak that fell. And then we saw that that it was just totally rotten on the inside. And we never knew that because it was so pretty on the outside. I thought, I'm using that this morning because that is so true. And that's exactly who Jesus is talking about in the Outer part of the second chapter and now moving into the third chapter because he said there are just so many who are playing religion game and from the exterior it looks so it looks so fine And then all of a sudden, when something happens, guess what? The rottenness can be on the inside, you know? And that is what we need to concentrate on. What are we on the inside? And so Jesus is going to go for it in John 3. And so now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. We know this story so well. And I'm going to take you down a little bit of a different path. Instead of Nicodemus, first of all, let's describe him. He's Pharisee, so he holds a big position. He's uh, religious, very religious. He's very intellectual, and he's very influential. And so this week's studying, I'm going to change the word, the name Nicodemus, and I'm going to put West Michigan in there instead. (laughs) and maybe that will help me apply this because we live in a community in West Michigan. I'm telling you, we are so religious here, so religious, and we are so intellectual. You think of how many colleges alone we have in West Michigan. We have some smarties here. We have, we have a lot of intellect here, and look at, look at the influence here. We have so much, West Michigan, we have, we have totally been given so much. However, it can be a real detriment. And I think that that's why, why did Jesus come to Nicodemus? Why, or why did Nicodemus come to Jesus? You, you look at this relationship and you can see that even though he was intellectual and influential and religious and, and socially on top probably, something was missing. And, and yet, I'm thinking that's our community too. I mean, you can tell they're still falling into traps of, of addiction, um, secret sins, um, vaping. I mean, all this. This is all, people are still missing something. You get all these qualities that, that outsiders looking in say, wow, and that's why we're the fastest growing county. Everybody wants to come here. Because outwardly, it looks like we have it all. And we have been given a lot. But Jesus says, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. I want, because I want to make sure it's so easy to be deceived. It's so easy to, at the inside, you know, it can be rotten. And the outside, it, you can play the game. And he said, I'm going after that. Now, John 3 I read um, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he's one of my favorite, and he wrote about John 3. He said, "This if you have a dying person and you want, you want to know what to read to them, oh, read John 3. But then he went on to say, but as you are reading to them, make sure that you're reading to yourself because you're dying too, you just don't know when. And isn't that so true? Always know John 3 is, is you know, we needed one and two to kind of get us into this part. We needed to know what John wrote his gospel for, and we needed to know that it, Jesus' whole coming is to change us and to keep us clean. And so now we're ready to hear, and this is what we need to do. And so Nicodemus, was Michigan, Come to Jesus, and we can spend all of our time this morning saying, I wonder why he came at night. I mean, so often we can get on tangents, and that's why I think this Bible study is growing, because, yeah, I just won't let us do that. I think of how many times we talk about things that we don't know, and we just, oh, I think this. What about this? I think this. And, oops, it's down. Time's gone. And I'm thinking, no, why did he come at night? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe it was peer pressure. Maybe it was the only time he had. Maybe it was the only time Jesus had. He, he just came at night, okay? And I'll leave it there. And, and so he came at night, and so they have this talk, and, and, and Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know. And I stopped there, and I thought, we? What? It's only Jesus and Nicodemus. Who is this we business? We know, we know that you are a teacher and it was come from God for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with you. It didn't say if you weren't God. (laughs) So he is, oh, and remember, he's religious and intellectual and influential, and he doesn't even know. He doesn't even know that that is God right in front of him. And then this we—who is we? Well, you know, I can't you just hear these smarty pants sitting together. You know, all these theologians and all these doctrine people that just want to nitpick on all we know. I—I can, I can hear that conversation. I wouldn't want to be a part of it, but they—they they think it's really good, and I'm sure they're just dissecting and discussing all this but yet in all of their smartness and all of their intellect and religiosity they know something is missing and it's right in front of their face so jesus replied you know he replied i mean he, he didn't it was not a question he even says we know we know that you come from god we believe you're a teacher we call you rabbi We're, but then Jesus says, all right, I'm going to I'm going to comment on that statement. I tell you the truth. And this I tell you the truth, you should always make sure that you got all, you're not thinking about anything else when you read the next words because when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, he's saying I don't want you to miss this. In fact, this is what's going to start changing your life. Every time he says, I tell you the truth, it will pertain to something that you don't ever want to forget. It's major. In some, in some um, uh, versions, it, it, um, he uses the word, um, be assured. I, I tell you the truth, or be assured. In other words, be sure. Or one version used the word, emphatic so whichever word you can see that that when this was um, revised we understand that it is a take notice of this he said no one no one now, we've been talking about that in the last two weeks. We've been saying, John will use words that are all-inclusive, no except no, yeah, but that doesn't mean no. Every, all, and you hear no one. So there's no way you can look and read that and think, well, that's so-and-so, that's not me. No, every means you, all means you, and no one means you. And me. So, you know, we got to make sure that we are listening to Jesus talking to each and every one of us because it's us. No one can see the kingdom of God. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they have been born again. What a statement to Rabbi, we know that you've been sent of God. You uh, that the fact that that um, God must be in you, and then Jesus comes back and says, "Well, you know what? <laughs> There's a lot more to this. Let me tell you that unless you are born again, you will not, you will not see the kingdom. You will not be a part of the kingdom. In the, in that whole kingdom of God, that is such a big." thing, the big title. Kingdom of God means you won't see, you won't see um, the Holy Spirit working in your life. You won't see fruit of his spirit in your life. You will not experience that peace that passes all understanding. You won't know what joy means even in the middle of your unhappiness. You won't know how to love when people are unlovable. You won't, you won't know how to do that. You won't be able to wake up tomorrow morning with blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. You're, you're not going to be able to sing this afternoon when people, like a river tendeth my way when sorrow like sea billows roll whatever my lot that was taught me to say it is well with my soul you won't be able to sing that you will not experience the kingdom of God here you won't have those wonderful truths to get you through the day. I mean, we talked about this before. How many of us have said in the, in the lowest of our lows, what would we do if we didn't have the Lord to turn to? That is the kingdom of God that has started in your life because you have gone to the cross and he's promised that he will never leave his child. He will never forsake him. He will walk through even the valley of death. He will walk through. He will be there with you. We that whole kingdom of God, he's saying, unless you're born again, you're not gonna experience any of that. And right away we we jump to, well, that means I won't go to heaven. Oh man, I mean, I mean, remember the song Until then, until that day, my heart's better go on singing because the kingdom of God of God has already begun in my life. All of what he has promised, all of his promises, showing me how to live so victorious. I can live today, no matter what's going on, I can live victory in Jesus, my Savior, forever. You see, and you won't experience that, and you won't even be able to think about your eternal home with me. Oh, you better think about where you're going to spend eternity, but it won't be with me. All because, all because, he said, you need to be born again. And in West Michigan, in all of our religion, in all of our intellect, in all of our affluence, in all of our influence, I'm telling you, people miss that. And Jesus said, no one is going to enter the kingdom of God. No one's going to experience that now or in the future unless you are born again. And that's probably the most humbling thing in the world. Being born again is so humbling. And so Nicodemus, of course, I mean, that we, we know the phrase now. But when that came to Nicodemus, or when you tell somebody, or if, you, if I say to somebody, have you been born again? They look at me like I'm nuts. Not only that, you know, the religion, the religion person, you know, when I say, have you been born again? They, they think... How dare you ask me that? Well, I just got to ask. Because he says no one's going to enter the kingdom unless you're born again. And you only are born again one way. You know, it it isn't sitting in church. It isn't what you've done or what you've accomplished or who you are. Um, I want to know, have you been born again by God's spirit when you've walked that walk to Calvary? Because you know that you are a sinner. And he's the only one that can save you. That's all I'm asking. And this is what Nicodemus, you know, it's, it's humbling. What do you mean? How can I go back into my mother's womb, you know? yeah, that's, that's just your typical, what do you mean born again? So even though someone might not just say that uh, you mean I have to go back into my mother's womb, a lot of times people... Almost are offended when you say about being born again because, well, of course, look at me. Of course. And this is too big a question to not have to take a look and say, wow, you know what? I better think about this. And that's why he answered, I tell you the truth. I'm going to say it again I tell you the truth. No one. And looking at Nicodemus, and he's saying, you know, there's so many, and in, in that in that day there were many people playing, you know, they were Jews, because they, they had the mentality, well, you know, God's chosen, so. Well, there's a lot of people playing that here too. Well, after all, I mean, look at church, i go do or look who my parents are, look who, you know, look what I've accomplished, look how much money I've given, look how, you know, on and on we can go. And and Jesus said, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you again. I'm going to tell you the truth again. No one is going to enter the kingdom of God unless you've been born. Now he's going to explain it. Firstborn. I mean, this is logical that you've got to be born once to be able to be born twice. But unless you are born of of water and the Spirit. So now he said it this way. No one's going to experience the kingdom of heaven unless they've been born of water first. You know, flesh gives birth to flesh. I mean, that is something we don't need explanation. We don't need explanation. We, we understand birth. We understand that born of water means our physical birth. And I had a lady this week who got confused with, you know, last week's lesson was baptism of water. John was baptizing with water. He said, I can only baptize with water, but I, the one coming, is going to baptize with the Spirit. So, and now we're talking born of water, born of the Spirit. It's two, two totally different things. Born... Baptized with water means that symbolic washing away of our sins. When you've been born of, uh, when you've been baptized with water, that is your the the symbol, um, the expression that, that you definitely come to Jesus as your Savior. You've been baptized with water. Baptized with the Spirit, that Jesus, He baptizes us on. He gives us, He covers us with His Spirit. He doesn't expect us to ever be without Him. We're baptized with His Spirit. We live every day with the Spirit, and we want to be baptized with the Spirit because when He covers us with His Spirit, there's no room for self to be reacting. So we need to be baptized with water. We need to be baptized with the Spirit. But we need here, in this chapter, he's saying, you need to be born of water. Yes, that's just, everybody is born of water. (laughs) But now we're going to talk about being born of the Spirit. You must be born of the Spirit. But the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You see that capital S Spirit gives birth to your little S Spirit. You have been you have been born. Again, it's, it's Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. There is my new birth. That's my spirit birth. So in other words, it's not about me anymore. Born of water and born of the flesh. Yeah, then it's all about me. But what? i've been born in the spirit that means that i acknowledge that i am a sinner i am hopeless without him i need to humbly take that walk to calvary where then he then it gives us his spirit born of his spirit it is no longer about me it is about him and when you, when you hear Jesus saying you must be born again, he is not just saying you need to fix up the mess of your life. You just don't, you know, need to say, you know, I know I, I do this and this and this, and I'm not going to do that anymore. I know that I'm in a trap, and I, I'm not going to do this anymore, and so, you know, won't you be pleased? Isn't that what born again means? No, this isn't just fixing up the old life this is a whole new life in christ because i the old the flesh the born of water part i now have been crucified with christ and it's no longer i that lives; it's christ that lives in me it is major and he said well let me put it this way it's kind of like wind you can't see you can't see the wind And boy, we have sure seen lately. And you know that we can't see wind, but what can we see? We certainly can see the results of wind. And it was such a beautiful analogy because we can't see when we are born of the Spirit, I mean, we know we take action, you know, to, to have that happen. We, we come to the cross. We humble ourselves and acknowledge who we are. I get that. But you really can't see the Holy Spirit. I, I always say, jump from our shoulder into our heart. Because we needed the Holy Spirit to tell us, boy, do you know, do you need Jesus Do you know that none of us would even say that without the Holy Spirit saying, You are in trouble and you need a Savior? And the Holy Spirit, He's out there working. That's what His job is. He's out there working. And I always say, I picture him perched on a shoulder and He's whispering in someone's ear through Bible study or a sermon or or whatever. He's whispering, You need Jesus, you need a Savior. You are lost. You're one of the all. You're one of the every. You're one of the no one. I want you to hear this. And when you respond with a yes, the Holy Spirit then comes into your heart. He comes to dwell there. You are now born of the Spirit. which is again so typical how can this be again you know come back it is it is hard to to comprehend it in some respects and that's why i think it's john is that pool of water and you can either be like a child and wade into it and just take service and and you know in in See the simple truth of the gospel. There's nothing complicated about John, and he wanted it to be simple to understand, but yet he knew that this whole this whole idea, this whole gospel comprehension I tell you it is an elephant that can swim in this it's so deep, and we're trying to really kind of grab a hold of this born of flesh yes everyone is but what about are you being born of the spirit and then jesus answers to this question when he says well how can this be you know this is complicated um i don't get it Oh, that's such an excuse people give. See, and that's when they just want to stay a child and they just want to wait in here. But you, I'm telling you, Jesus said, answering this question when Nicodemus said, "Well, I don't get it. Oh, how can this be?" And some people right now will say, "You know, this is too complicated." And actually, what it's doing is it's getting too close to home. It's getting a little too convicting. A lot of times we pass the excuse off, oh, I don't get it. It's just too over my head. It is not. You just don't want to hear it because it confronts you right in the face. And so Jesus answers, and I love the way he answers. And whether you are talking to Nicodemus or West Michigan, I'm here to tell you this answer fits. You should know this. You with your church on every corner and you're so proud of being so religious and all your smart mouth answers and all that, you know, you should know this then. You should even be surprised of what I'm saying. You're their teacher. <laughs> and how come you do not understand these things? And then again, he says, I tell you the truth. Listen, he says, I tell you the truth. We speak, we know, we testify. And I thought again, who is this we? It's just the two of you. Well, we know that we is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Together, we're working each individually in our own special way for you to get this. The Father works, the Son works, and the Holy Spirit works. We are trying to get you to see this and get it. We speak, we know, we testify. That we was major here. He's saying all three persons are working in their own special way for you to understand this. And yet, and yet you don't. You won't accept, you won't accept the testimony. You won't accept our story. You won't accept, I tell you the truth. I have spoken to you. You know, now he goes back to the eye. I'm standing right here. I'm standing right here. I'm in the flesh right in front of you. You can see it. And I'm try- I try to talk to you about uh, earthly things. You don't even try to get that. I tried to give you an, an analogy of the wind. You know, you can't see it. You, you know, that's understandable. But you can't see the effects of the wind. You won't even try to get that. And so if I try getting any deeper, if I try getting any more spiritual with you, you certainly won't get that. I think that is so true. Our salvation, our walk with the Lord, you know, maybe you couldn't see the spirit into your life. and Maybe maybe you, you couldn't actually Put a finger on that. But you should be able to see the effects of it. Because he came to change us. And every day, you and I should be looking in the mirror and seeing the effects of being born of the Spirit. And he says, you know what? I try to communicate with and use stories and analogies, and and you don't get it. You don't want to get it, he says. And then and then he makes this statement right in the middle when he says, "How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things?" he Yes, he, he comes back and he says, "No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of man." He's saying, "There is no one like me. there is no one that has started in heaven, left heaven." and we'll go back to heaven. There is no one. I'm the only one. Remember, John, remember when he said in the beginning was the word, and we went over that. There never was a time that he wasn't. And he's saying, I'm the only one. I'm the only. God is the only one who was, and now come back to try to Get you to get it and, and to buy you back so that you can have all oh, what I'm offering you when you didn't deserve it. I'm the only one that can do that. He's trying to get Nicodemus in West Michigan to see that he is the only one that can do that. And you've got to come to Jesus, not as a generic whole, you've got to come individually. And then he goes and says, he brings back Numbers 21. And remember who he's talking to? Smarty pants there, who should know all of the Old Testament, every story, and should have known every correlation. And so he goes back to Numbers 21 and he refers to this time when Moses had to hear the complaining and the the, just the cry, the whining. You know, they're saying, Why did you just leave us in Egypt? Why did you bring us out into the desert to die? We have no food. But then in the, in the next sentence, they said, we detest our food. They just said they don't have any food. And now, you know, they just don't like it. It's not their thing. It's not their way. And on they go, complaining, complaining. I don't like the way God is doing this. I don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't like to be inconvenienced. I don't like to hurt. I don't like to, instead of seeing that God says, I'm trying get your attention, because I love you so much. I'm trying to stop this everlasting complaining and whining. I want you to know and trust and obey me. That's all. Bottom line. Simple one to understand. And when you don't, the whole Old Testament is filled with God's judgment. He is, he is so showing us in the Old Testament. I'll show you what I think is sin, and I'll show you what I will do to take care of it. And so, the Lord, what did he do? He sent venomous snakes. Just a little funny tidbit. I got a grandson who's just so smart, I got to tell you. He is. And this was even a couple years ago. And it's, isn't it humiliating when they, when they are smarter than you? Because I said, I made the mistake of saying poisonous snakes and he says no grandma there's no such thing as poisonous snakes I said well there is too he said no you call them venomous and I had to laugh when I read numbers 21 because the word is venomous you know it's really true so anyway the venomous the venomous snakes they started biting the Israelites started biting those Israelites and you think well you know come on That's God's chosen people. You know, and many Israelites died, it said. I hope you read this story. Many Israelites died. Those are God's chosen people. And, you know, right away you think, why would he do that to his chosen people? Why does he do that to his children? Because he is trying to teach. He is trying to make sure that we know and that we understand that he's God and we're not. And he's gonna get his way and we're not always gonna get ours. And so, you know, that's another coat string I think we hang on to. Well, after all, I'm God's chosen. I'm God's, I'm, you know, like Israel said, I'm God's chosen people, you know, so I can really do pretty much what I want, when I want, how I want. You know? Well, after all, I live in West Michigan, and I go to such and such a church, and I have this and this job, and I've worked hard, and we've achieved this. and And that is not, that's... No, every individual needs to come to the Lord Jesus. And you don't get in any other way. You don't get into God's kingdom. And then these venomous snakes were killing some of the people, and, you know, then they cried out to Moses Oh, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. We sinned against you and against God, and, and get him to stop. That's pretty much what they said. You got a connection, get him to stop. And this is what God said to Moses. I want you to raise up a pole and I want you to put a snake on there, a bronze snake. I want you to put that on there. And every time the snake bites someone, if they look to that, if they look to that pole, if they lift their eyes, they will be healed. Oh, don't ever tell me the Old Testament isn't all about Jesus. What a visual. When you, a venomous snake, isn't that unusual? That Genesis 3, what came to Eve? It all fits together. This venomous snake, our enemy, will try to tell us that's okay. You're fine. you look at look at look at what you put in the offering. Look what you look at you did. Look what committee you you worked on. Look how hard you know you make sure you're in church every Sunday. Look at look at all that. You're fine. <laughs> this is so. Isn't this something? It's so true. All the scripture works together like this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And then look, look, that who? Everyone. Everyone, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That's right. What do you have to do? He spells it out. You have to look up. You have to look up and see that the venomous snake of sin has just has condemned you. You are lost. You are hopeless. Only the lifting up your eyes to the cross of Christ will you see that you can be healed. You can be healed. And then, then here we come, the classic verse. And, and I want you to see, because maybe some of you, when, when I... Ask the question about Ephesians 1.13. I wanted you to see something. John 3.16, as simple and as well as we know that verse, it is complicated, and it is a two-parter, and it is is a two-relationship. To make this work, it's going to take both, the Lord and you. He does his part. You do your part. And there's a choice in the matter, because you see, in Ephesians 1.13, Paul says, to be included in Christ, you hear the gospel. So, okay, you hear it. And then he just assumes that, okay, you chose then to believe that gospel. Because when you hear the gospel, you can either say, yeah, that's me. Or you can say, oh, tomorrow, or when I'm older, or... um, not think I got this. But Paul says, if you want to be included in Christ, you you hear this gospel, and then having believed, so what keeps you and I from experiencing all what Jesus did for us? Believe me, it is no one but you and I in the choice we make to say, I'm self-sufficient. And that verse, it tells just assuming that you made the choice by saying, "having believed then. This is what keeps you on the road. You are now sealed with this Holy Spirit. There's nothing you can do because believe me, you need to be sealed. You need that guarantee of, of that third person of the Trinity in your life. So here's John three sixteen. God so loved the world. <laughs> I could... I could try to explain that, but I can't. I can't. I'm just grateful. He so loved this world. Now, when, he, when, when Jesus puts it this way, God so loved the world. Who is he including here? You better believe it. Everybody, everyone. I don't care if you're God's chosen. I don't care if you're if you um, uh live in this country or that nation, we know, this this is so John saying, even children can get this. No one is excluded here. He did it for everyone because everyone needs it. God so loved this world that he gave. So he did his part. He gave Jesus who would shed his blood. You know it. You, you, I hope you understand it. His blood and his blood alone is the only, only blood that would be accepted as the sacrifice for you and me. His blood. Water turning into wine. The wine refers to the blood of our Savior. We, the water need to be changed with Jesus if we're going to experience his best. Didn't you just love that again? Back to that story, that miracle story, you know, when the, when, the, when the guy said, why did you give the best last? Usually, you know, when people don't realize what they're doing, you know, that kind of thing. And That's just so Jesus. Every day you walk with him, it gets better and better. The best is yet to come. I think so many people, you know, toward the end of their life, they they just kind of, you know, I love the memories, precious memories, how they linger. It is wonderful to look back and to to think about how the Lord brought you through. And and that is really good. But do you know that the best is yet to come? Tell you, that is something, isn't it? The best is yet to come. So he loved this world. He gave his son. And now, here's where I think we forget. Here's the, this is the kicker. He did his part. And I don't care whether you have King James or whatever, whether you read whosoever, or if you just read whoever, and all of a sudden, I'm sitting, I'm studying, and I'm thinking, you know, basically... He's just saying, "Okay, whoever wants it, I'd, I love this whole world. It, it's the blood is is been shed for everyone. Um, so I, it's complete. It's a done deal. It only has to be done once. It, that it's now whoever, and I don't mean to be flippant." But he's basically, when he, by putting it that way, it's saying, whoever, okay, now it's up to you. Now it's your choice. Whoever. Whoever. And, if, and I, got a, I got a note in the mail from you know, Thursday. I got a note in from someone in that Thursday morning class. I got just a one, little, one little nine. I'm so grateful. I'm one of the whoever. And they, they caught it. They caught that. They made a choice, and they're one of the whoever believes. If you choose, because basically that's what he's doing here, okay? I did my part. Now, whoever, whoever wants to choose to believe this. And then it comes back again to him. All right. I'll make it so worth your while. You you choose to believe this and accept this and humble yourself to this and realize you're you're one of the no one and everyone and I, you are willing to believe this. Oh, I'll show you that. You won't you won't ever perish. You won't ever perish. You're born again. Remember, we said last week. You, you're born twice, so you only have to die once. You will never this body, yes, but your soul. From the second you accept Jesus, your soul now will live forever. You will not die. Whoever whoever believes will not perish. But you'll have eternal life. And remember, John said in John 1, what did Jesus come to do? Be our light and be our life. But you can't, it's the same paragraph, you can't miss. You gotta take 17 with 16, you just have to because it just spells it out. It makes everybody, again, individually see no excuses for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Yeah, I know you know that, but you think about that. Jesus came to save the lost. And who are the lost again? Everyone. Because why he goes on to say, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Why didn't Jesus have to come to condemn the world first? Why did Jesus, why did Jesus, why is he known as the Savior? He came to save, and he didn't come as the condemner, and then he saves. He came as our Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, not a condemner, a Savior. And why didn't why doesn't he have to condemn us first? <laughs> because why? Since Genesis 3, guess what? You and I have already been, we're already condemned. There isn't one of us. I don't again, Nicodemus, West Michigan. I don't care how religious, intellectual or affluent you are. You still. <laughs> you still have to come like this. You are condemned. Well, he didn't want a he didn't want a bunch of puppets. You know this whole thing about you know the tree in the garden. You know why? Why in the world did he even put it there? You know if you knew we were going to fail anyway, why would he put it there? Uh, you know what? He I don't blame him. I don't blame him. He did, he just didn't want a bunch of stick people saying you know he pushes the button, we just operate. He wants us to love him and to know him because we choose to because we know what. Cost him, and we are grateful. We are lost, and we have a Savior, and it is just so beautiful to know we have one. We don't need to be condemned, we are condemned, but we have a Savior. We have one. Now, when he comes, when he comes the second time, oh, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we love it when we say, oh, he came the first time to save us. Oh but he's going to come the second time though he's got another title and that title is going to be what judge he's coming back the second time to judge and judge what oh all those who thought that they were so smart and they were so intellectual and so religious and so he's going to come to judge him yeah all right now this this just gets so good this, verse 19, this is the verdict. I'm glad it was put. This is the verdict, okay? This is, is going to change. This is the verdict. Um, you, you know, when you hear that in a court system, you the verdict. There's no changes here. This is it. Light, capital L, light has come into the world. And his name is Jesus to a condemned world, to a lost world, to an every, uh, no one, and all the light has come. But men, in our human nature, this is such a sad verse because it, it again, it reminds us, though, that in our own self, in our own human nature, nature. and he's, remember, he's still talking to Nicodemus here and he's saying to him but men loved darkness instead of light why do people love darkness rather than light again you know now when you come into the light it makes no sense does it but when you're caught in the darkness cuz who's darkness is really all about who it's all about me yeah and, and no wonder it says people love darkness yeah when it's all about me i kind of i do love that But he's saying, I want you to know, when it's all about you, do you know that if you live your life all about you, it'll send you to hell? Yep. If you live your life all about you, that's what's going to send you to hell. So light is coming to the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. And we think evil is you know those who rob the bank, those who murder. I mean, evil is any time he is not in control of your life. And you, when you are in control of your life, you are walking the wrong path. And there's only two paths: either his path or your path. Again, this is John saying this is simple, child childlike. It's not complicated. You love darkness. You love evil. You love it when, you, when, it's, when it's all about you. Everyone who does evil hates the light. And then he goes on to explain, and it, it makes such good sense. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light. Oh, what does that sound like to you again? Doesn't that sound like a, a choice that you make? I'm in the darkness, and I'm not coming into the light. So there, it's my call. It's my choice. He's warning in your own human sinful nature, you love the dark. And you just soon stay there. And you make a choice to stay there. Because even though he's trying to work through your conscience, Romans 1, Paul says, "Don't give me this excuse. He's working. He he's giving you a conscience. You know. You just don't wanna." Someone said to me last week. They said, "Um, "I thought you said that um, darkness cannot overcome the light." And how how, you know? I said, "You're right. It can't. But you've got to want to look for the light." And here he's talking about people that are in the dark and they want to stay there. Oh, they're light. There's light there. Why? Because he loves the world. Jesus came for everyone. Oh, there's light. You just don't want to see it. And I think there's so much more truth to that, and we're gonna to get to that story. We, you know, and Jesus says to that invalid, "Do you really want to be healed?" I mean, that's a that is such a good question because that man had to answer, "Yes, I do." And then Jesus said, "Well, you know what? It's gonna change you. In other words, you won't have any more excuses." See, if people want to stay. I want to stay. Lit. I want to stay here in the dark. I don't want to look to the light because it's gonna make me see myself for what I really am, and I don't want to see it. Now, it says here, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Yeah. And that's pretty sad, if you ask me. I don't wanna see the light. I wanna stay stuck in this. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And I don't wanna be humbled to the point I gotta take a walk to Calvary and realize that I'm nothing. You know, he, 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 you'd be surprised at how many people are stuck in the darkness because they don't want to have the real exposed. They're that oak tree that's rotten in their center, but they don't want anybody to know it. And if they come into the light, oh, oh, everybody's going to know. You stay in the darkness and you don't reach for the light. I've seen this too much in the last couple of weeks. You do not choose to go into the light because you're either ashamed or you think you're hopeless or you think that you've done it too much and you can't possibly, there can't possibly be any hope. I mean, after all, now I'm going to have to pay this consequence and I can never do that. All of these things, I'm here to tell you, Jesus is saying in John chapter 3, there is no sin that's not, that's not, um, that I can't forgive except the sin of the Holy Spirit telling, telling you to move and you aren't. When the Holy Spirit's saying, you need Jesus, there's light right over there. Go to the light. And if you say, no, no, I'm going to stay in the darkness. That's a sin that the Lord can't forgive. But if you, no matter, you take a look at your life, and you stay in the hopeless day, you stay in the dark, and look at how many, how many words go with dark. Defeat, discourage, depressed, dis- despair. I mean, I could go on and not down. I just said to the group last night, it says, I know our bodies aren't able, but we should be dancing on these chairs. We really should. Because we don't have to stay stuck in the darkness. That is your call or my call when we do. Because the light is right there to show you the way. Why would Paul say, look to him. He will be your hope. And your hope will never disappoint you. Do you have to pay consequences, you have to pay for sin. For I mean, back in Genesis 3, there was consequences to sin, yes. But how, how don't we know how even when we're paying for the consequences of our sin, he can use us? Light, oh, it wants to overtake your darkness, and, but you want to stay there. Whoever lives by the truth, whoever lives by this truth, whoever lives lives by this truth, you can come into the light. And what is this truth? You know, when you're in that darkness, you can, if you want to hear it, you can hear a voice saying, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden. Do you realize it? I love you so much that I gave Jesus to cover those sins. And what do we know when his blood covers our sins? What do we know about those sins? They're gone. And he remembers them, well, no more, no more. You can be set free of all that. Come, come. Whoever lives by this truth can come into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. I wrote my Bible. I wrote Romans 8 there. Because, uh, you know, after reading that, this paragraph... If you've walked into the light and you know what you've been saved from, and you know the, that your sins are covered with the blood, and He remembers them no more, I'm telling you, I can. I no wonder Paul wrote in Romans eight, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that's a great way to live. It's all gone. And now that you are not, you were condemned the second you were conceived. And now there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because you have been saved by the One who came. I'll tell you those songs we sang this morning, every one of them. Isn't it something when you read Romans 8 and you now know that your condemnation has been washed away and you can sing blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I know it's been all the time. This is the message of uh, of John chapter 3. And then after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them, and he baptized. And John the Baptist, he was still going. John the Baptist was still, until he was arrested and put into prison, he still continued to work for the kingdom of God. He still continued to say, repent. Now look, in verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and, and look, and a certain Jew, over the matter of ceremonial washing, if, if that isn't religion in our, in our day and age, and you, just, you just heard, look at John 3, you just heard the greatest message of salvation for the lost, and that's me, and that's you, and it's, you know, to know we've been bought back, and oh, it's so good. And then you've got, you've got one of those people, yeah, I'm going to talk to you about ceremonial washing. I'll tell you, it jumped off the page to me, and it reminded me of when Chad preached his first sermon, his very first sermon, and we were on the road, so we couldn't be there, so right at noon, I called him, and I said, well, how'd it go? Dead silence. I thought, oh, no. I said, how'd it go? He said, well, I don't know. So what happened? He well, you know, I preached on Psalm 121. Now, how can you find fault with Psalm 121? I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. That's pretty much black and white, isn't it? And see, he was filling in for a pastor who was gone. And this pastor failed to tell him that he had one of these people in his congregation that went through the line every week and had to say, yeah, but let's talk about. And, you you know, you just had that all wrong here. And I have to show you how I have got it right. And, you know, just plain took him over the coals. Now, you're talking about a seminarian preaching his first sermon. I said, well, how did you handle it? He said, well, you know, I thought of a few Marine moves. And, you know, he's a Marine. And he said, I could have had him flat on the ground in a matter of a second. (laughs) That's Chad, his wit. But he said, you know, I just took his hand and said, can we be men enough to agree to disagree? I said, oh, that's great. I I said, welcome to ministry. I mean, that's sad I had to say that, you know. I said, you really handled that with grace. And then I said, then what did you do? He said, I went in the next room and cried. And it broke my heart. I thought, yeah, see, look, you got John the Baptist's disciples who, who are hearing the message of salvation and who are sending people free from their sins. And you got one picky little person that says, yeah, yeah, what about, you know. The... Oh, gosh. It's something to think about, isn't it? What should we be caring about? It's kind of like what last week when we talked about that whole wine and food thing, when Paul said, why don't you care about people's soul? If it means not eating or drinking this because someone is watching you, you don't want to destroy God's work. Remember we read that in Romans, you don't want to destroy God's work. Well, come on, where's your heart in this? It's not about you anymore anyway. It's about him, how you live in your life. came to John and said, Hi. this was this was precious. Rabbi, the rabbi who who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you who you testified about, well he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. I think these these followers of John the Baptist, they pretty much said, you better sharp, sharpen up, we're losing them by the droves, you know? <laughs> And then I think you'll see John the Baptist just break into a smile because you hear him say, a man can receive only what is given to him from heaven. In other words, I'm, oh, I was given by God, because remember, every good and perfect gift from above is from above. He's saying, I know that the gift I was given was to be the forerunner. And I told you, if I told you once, I told you a bazillion times, I'm not the one. I'm just, pay, I'm just paving the way for him so that you don't miss him and then he said it's kind of like a wedding the bride belongs to the bridegroom the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice what a sweet analogy the best man he is, his job is to get this bride and the bridegroom together And all of a sudden he hears the bridegroom's coming and oh, it's going to happen. The wedding is going to take place and he is full of joy. And he says, that's the kind of joy I have. I'm thrilled. I got to become less so he can become greater because it isn't about me. That's real joy. The one who comes from above is a Above all, the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth. (laughs) Only he can do what he can do because I'm just this human earthly being that needs the one from above. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it in the word certified, you have, got, you have got your ticket, you've got your certification, you've got your title, child of God. You, you got it. You decided to make that choice and you walked in to this truth and you took it for yours and you are now certified. You certified in the fact that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. Did you underline that? God, the spirit is without limit. Last night, oh, man, I'll tell you, this place was just smoking. Maybe you saw smoke coming from here. It it was so, and just the message just does that. And I knew that it was an out-of-the-body experience. The so Lord just absolutely bo- borrowed this body and this awful voice to communicate to you. And you know, I am so grateful that last night when I went home, I thought to myself, I kept thinking, and his spirit is limping us That means that tomorrow morning he'll do the same thing. I can count on, you can count on that the spirit never runs out. He'll always give you, he'll always give you what you need to do the job. You're never doing it alone. God gives the spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Now, look at this last verse. Whoever, there again, whoever, whoever believes in his son has eternal life. See, that's part of, that's, that's part of the, the whoever that says, yep, I'm buying this. I've taken it. I'm, he's offered this grace. I'm running with it. I'd just soon be set free from all this yuck and be set free to know that the best is yet to come. Every, tomorrow's going to be better than today. The next day's better than the next day. I mean, it, I'd just soon live like that. I'm one of the whoever. But the thing is, when that gal wrote me... Uh, And I think this is why John leaves us, because I would have loved it if he would have just left it there, wouldn't you? (laughs) If he would have just let whoever believes he will have eternal life, and yeah, but no, he comes back, and this is how he leaves it. There's another part of whoever. Here's another part. You might be the whoever that says, eh, not for me. I don't get it. I don't see any sense in it. I'm religious enough. I'm intellectual. I am influential. I'm, you know, (laughs) and you don't get it. And so John ends this chapter today with okay, whoever, you don't want this and you reject this son. I just want to lay it straight because this is child, this is child gospel 101. You can't miss it. Whoever rejects the son, Will not. You will not see life. You won't see life. You won't experience all what I said before. You know about life now. All what He has for us, all His promises, all His words. Guess what? You're not even going to see that for God's wrath remains on you. And that's how He ends this beautiful chapter of John 3. Because remember when He started, who He was talking to. He said, you think about it. You want God's wrath on you? <laughs> well, it's only one of two things. You know this you know, I, I went back and, and finishing, I thought, you know what He wants me? He wants me to believe to the brim. Remember the water was filled to the brim? He wants me to believe to the brim, so I trust him to the brim, so I rely on him to the brim. So I cling to him to the brim. Because we can't do it without him. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message. It is so perfect, but you are, and so you've given us everything we need. Now make it so clear before us that we have a decision to make, and it is not just a flippant one that we can get our ticket to heaven and then we can live however we want. When we consider the sacrifice that you made for us, May we realize that we have now been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that lives. It is Jesus who lives in me. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Have a good week.